All right, welcome in to today's episode of the Southeast Tooth Podcast. It is Monday, August the 14th, 2017, and today's episode is the highly anticipated, way too early SEC basketball preview with Sam Snelling, and it's funny because we we went to do this, we had no idea where it was going to go, it turned out to be almost an hour long, we hit on all 14 teams, discussed storylines all around the league here as we're in August, and as we laughed about as well, uh, it's funny because... It's, it's only August, and it's kind of one of those deals where it feels like we're getting very close to the start of the season, and we are close in a sense, but we're still three months away from things getting uh, you know tipped off on the court. But yet, all this anticipation around the world of SEC basketball, all the teams, uh, fans out there are just kind of salivating over what could be this year in the world of SEC hoops. And so Sam and I went through the entire gauntlet in the SEC Discussed all the teams, a lot of different topics, discussions on players, coaches, all sorts of stuff. Uh, So let's go ahead and just jump into it. Here is our way too early SEC basketball preview here on the Southeast Hoops podcast with Sam Snelling. All right, guys, pleased to once again catch up with Sam Snelling. I've talked about him a lot here on the podcast. Uh, Specifically, that's because he knows his stuff. Talking about reading his work over at uh, Rock M Nation Sam, great to talk to you as always. Um, We're catching up with you here in what is an exciting time for SEC basketball, and it is only August. It's a very strange thing to say. Well, I appreciate your kind words, first of all. Uh, I I do my best, but I think think it goes both ways. I read a lot of what you write and and learn a lot from you, so I'm thankful for that. Uh, But you are right. It is a – it's weird that we're – we, there's like legitimate excitement amongst, I would say probably 10 to 13, yeah. <laughs> maybe not all 14, but a lot of, uh, a lot of programs are really excited about the direction of, of where they're headed. And, and as a Mizzou guy, man, you couldn't ask for a better off season for them. Um, but it's going to be like, I think probably the best season for the SEC that we've had maybe since like the late two thousands. Yeah. I don't think there's any doubt about it. And like you said, I mean, it really does start with talking about Mizzou and LSU. I mean, the two teams that we obviously knew were the two worst teams in the SEC last year, uh, and then to see kind of what's happened with both programs this offseason. Obviously, with Missouri, we know all the talent they've got in there. We know the coaching change. Uh, as you've gone throughout the summer here, and we're still ways away, and we know that. It's so weird because it feels like the season's starting in a month just because of all the hype, <laughs> all the excitement, but we're still three months away from getting this thing started. But as you've gone throughout the summer and you've kind of looked at this team, you see what's there right now, where do you kind of feel like they stand just among all these really good SEC teams like we're talking about, having a chance to take a rise up? Because they're they're one that I think a lot of people are having a hard time placing. And to me, I've gone back and forth and said, okay, sure, I could see them challenging for the top. And I've said, well, I'm not exactly sure how big of a leap they're going to make. It's like you can go back and forth a lot, I think, on Missouri. Well, so I think they're a tournament team. Um, yeah. What I don't know is if if that's going to be like, you know, an 11 seed. You know, I would say it's kind of similar to what Vanderbilt did last year, uh, sort of sneaking into the first four. Uh, or if they're actually going to be a team that can kind of place in the top three or four. I don't I don't really think they're quite that good. I, I am a full-time believer 
in Michael Porter Jr. and his talent. Um, but you're talking about them bringing back a lot of good pieces. You're talking about uh, bringing back Terrence Phillips and Kevin Purrier and and Jordan Barnett, you know, three guys that I think are, are really going to be counted on heavily. And n- none of those guys have really played on a good team. Um, so there's going to be a very learning process for the entire roster on how they're going to actually learn to win games and compete uh, nine in and nine out. Now, from a talent standpoint, I think the roster is probably the fourth or fifth best. Um, and But I also think that we're probably going to see some uh, rosters that are maybe more talented uh, not quite achieve what we all think that they are capable of. And I, I you know, a team that I would maybe single out is is like Auburn. Um, I think Auburn probably has maybe the second or third most talented roster. But until they can go out on a nightly basis and prove that they're willing to defend and 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 play at that kind of next level, I just don't think that they're. I'm going to put them ahead of Missouri, um, who has a difference maker like Michael Porter Jr. and enough complimentary pieces that, you know, you could really see them taking off. Um, but yeah, I mean, I would say I feel comfortable right now anywhere between like five and maybe eight in the SEC. Uh, if they finished, you know, if they finished eight, I would be a little surprised. If they finished higher than five, I would be a little surprised. But I think that range kind of feels comfortable. Yeah, and that's honestly kind of been my thinking, I think, and just looking at everyone else. And it's funny that you mentioned Auburn because Auburn, it seems like last year I was someone that was higher on Auburn than most people. I'm going to be the same this year and just that, like you said, talent-wise, it's there. And I think it's very interesting to me to look at a team like Auburn that has all that talent and say, boy, could they possibly be that bad defensively again? And that's kind of the question. And, you know, if they are, then you don't know what's going to happen there. But I think surely they have to be better. That's what my thinking. Uh, But like you said, I think with Missouri, when you add all the different pieces, and to me, one of the intriguing pieces, and this may be one that's probably going to kind of fly under the radar right now, just because when we talk about Porter and all these great freshmen they have in this class, is Cassius Robertson. Because I think he's someone that shoots the ball so well, and you saw this team play it seemed like just making open shots last year, and I know it's a completely different kind of different world now when we talk about where the program is now to where it was last year, but I think he's someone that could certainly give them a boost. I mean, you know, maybe he doesn't start. I don't know, but I think he's someone that's going to add a, a pretty interesting dynamic there and giving them a knockdown shooter there from three. Well, not only him, but I think they're also, you know, bringing in Michael Porter Jr., who is a really good shooter, and, yeah. and, and it just – adding guys that can actually make shots and and the you know the reality is is uh you know Kevin Perrier is not a bad shooter Jordan Barnett's not a bad shooter uh and even Terrence Phillips isn't a bad shooter so now what you're doing is you're putting those guys instead of there being your one two three options their option you know are now going to be like four or five you know when they're on the floor um so they're they're very clearly going to be the guys that aren't going to be looked at and I think that's going to help their their shooting percentages go up. Um, but I, I agree with you a lot. I, I actually think that of all the additions, I mean, clearly the most important uh, is Michael Porter Jr. I, you know, I think adding size in the interior, uh, you know, with Jeremiah Tillman and also adding in, uh, you know, John Tate Porter, um, then I think those are important. But the one thing that Missouri really struggled to do is score the basketball and, and in particularly shoot from deep. And, and so you're, you're automatically boosting that. And I think that's going to make them a lot, a lot tougher team to handle when, 
when the you're not going to be able to clog the lane up as much, and it's going to make it easier for for guys like Terrence uh, and and you know Michael Porter Jr. and and even the two freshman guards who I expect will probably play a lot as well. It, it's going to make their lives a lot easier. Yeah, and it's the depth I think in the SEC is what we've really been talking about, and that's kind of what Mizzou has when we talk about all these different options they're going to have. You know, in different lineups they could play when you have a guy like Porter in there and kind of what you can do around him and all those different things. And that's where I think, you know, why you can look at a Missouri team and say, well, they can certainly be an NCAA tournament team because they have the kind of depth, like you said, going to be able to play the other freshmen as well, and they're going to give them good minutes, plus the guys they have coming back. Uh, So it's going to be very intriguing just to see how that all plays out. So we talk about where Missouri could stand, and we got to talk about the rest of the SEC and just talking (laughs) about, you know, it's just so crazy to me. As you, and I know you've done this, I've done this, as we go through these teams this offseason and just look at these rosters, try to figure out how you could possibly know where some of these teams are going to wind up just because it seems like there's so little room for error talking about going into this year. Uh, I think we obviously have to start with Kentucky, and Kentucky's a team that is intriguing to me because when I look at Kentucky's roster, I see a lot of really good young players. But what I don't see is a De'Aaron Fox. I don't see a Malik Monk. I don't see a Bam Adebayo. And I think that's where, when you think about the increasing competitiveness of the SEC, that makes me wonder, is this team going to be able to come together? And it seems like we always ask that question just because there's so many new players. Uh, But just what are your general thoughts as you look at Kentucky right here, right now in August? Well, when you look at them sort of collectively, I actually like this roster as much, if not more, than some of the other rosters he's had. And one of the reasons is because it provides a lot of balance. Yeah. Um, they've always seemed to have kind of one thing or the other, but you are right. They're, they're sort of, they're missing like a dude, you know, like yeah. Kentucky has always kind of had like a dude on their team. Like they the just, alpha right. kind of guy, you know, like yeah, the, you know? the Fox. Yeah. And I think we're, we're probably used to them kind of getting somebody like, <laughs> like Michael Porter Jr. And now like the, the best player from a ranking standpoint is Kevin Knox. And, and I think, any scout who watched him, uh, and you know, I saw him, pl- you know, play a few times. I would say that he's a work in progress. Um, he's he's absolutely uh, an elite defender. He's a, an elite athlete. He's going to be a really good rebounder. Um, but is he a guy that, as the shot clock's winding down, you can throw the ball to and say, "Go make us a play"? And I don't think he is. Um, to me, the thing that I do like about this roster is the fact that they went out and they got. Uh, both uh, Quade Green, who I love as a point guard. I, you talk about like the the floor general, and yeah, he's not De'Aaron Fox, who is an absolute game changer on that end, but he's a guy who's going to make everybody else on the floor better. Um, and then also at combo guard, I think probably coming off the bench, uh, you know, for me, kind of early in the season at least, is uh, you know Sh- uh, Shy Gilgius Alexander, however you say it at first. Uh, first of his last names, but you know he's a super talented kid. Um, so they don't really have like the elite player that they've had in the in the last few years. Um, you know, guys that that are just going to routinely make plays. But I think the overall collection of talent, um, and I think there's enough guys that maybe aren't uh, automatic one and done that it's going to make Kentucky a, a very likely title contender next year. Now this year, I think they're probably more likely to be kind of like a uh, 13 and five kind of SEC team instead of what we've seen in like 16 and two and, and 17 and one kind of seasons. 
Um, you know, but that's also probably because the the overall competition of the league is going to be better. Yeah, and another thing I think with Kentucky, and people are going to forget this because we're so used to just zooming in on the freshmen. And I think when you have guys like Winyan Gabriel coming back, we've seen what he's done with his body this offseason. I mean, he's put on a ton of weight, ton of strength. Uh, you know, that was kind of his biggest weakness last year. There's always seemingly one guy that gets left out of that monster freshman class. He was one of those guys, Sasha Kalea Jones, another guy. So you bring those two guys back as well to add in with all these guys. And it's hard to look elsewhere and say, look, I mean, look at what Kentucky has. Look at all this talent. He's found a way to make it work all these years. He's probably going to find a way to make it work now, even if they don't have, like we said, a Fox, a Monk, guys like that. Uh, So that's intriguing to me. But when we talk about Kentucky, we talk about the teams that could challenge Kentucky. And, and, you know, I think there's a lot of different opinions on that uh, when you look around. And and that's because of the increasing competitiveness of this league. I mean, you look at teams like Florida, Alabama, Texas A&M, it seems like are the ones being mainly mentioned as the teams that could challenge. As you look around the league, which team do you think has that best chance? Because to me, I think it's Florida. I really like what they have coming back. I like the addition of Igor Kulichov and just knockdown shooter. Uh, and I think Florida may have the best, you know, roster overall to be able to challenge Kentucky. Oh, and I'm not convinced that that Florida doesn't actually have the overall best roster. Yeah. Uh, when you talk about who they're bringing back, I mean, you have a senior point guard in Chris Gioza, uh, who has proven that he can make plays. You have a junior. Uh, combo guard and Kayvon Allen, who, I mean, Allen is just a dynamic player. I always made the joke that, I, like, I've never, I feel like I've never seen Kayvon Allen play well, which <laughs> actually kind of scares me. I mean, because I don't watch every Florida game. Right. Um, but it scares me for what he's doing in the games that I'm not watching because I'm looking at what he's producing on a regular basis. And it's, it's, it's astounding that I'll watch and I'll be like, oh, he's only got like eight points and he's really not pl- shooting well. He's, he's kind of facilitating instead of, instead of scoring. Um, you know, but when you have both of those guys in the backcourt and then you kind of add in, um, you know, some of their, uh, the guys they're bringing in, I, I think Jalen Hudson's a guy who, uh, can contribute kind of big. And I think will probably maybe play a larger role than people maybe expect. Uh, and then you talk about bringing John Agunu back and that dude is just like a monster in the middle. Um, and so I, I think that they're, they're an incredibly dangerous team and, and it would not surprise me one bit to see them win the league outright. Well, and I just like Mike White. I mean, I just think his his ability to develop players, he's in, he's instilled a toughness there. And one of the things I think people just forget at this point is think about what he stepped into and having to replace Billy Donovan there who won back-to-back national championships. And, and having to come into that and kind of step into those shoes and he gets them to the Elite Eight last year and he's continuing to build. I mean, they've got potential breakout guys, like you said, all over the roster, I think, when you talk about like Kavarius Hayes, Keith Stone, they're going to have to play a lot until Igbunu comes back. Uh, but overall, I just love this team. I think they are one, like you said, it would not shock me to see them win the SEC outright, uh, be the SEC's top team going into the tournament. Uh, beyond that, the two other teams, and I know, you know, I listened to your podcast with Corey Keys. It was great. <laughs> Anybody that, that should go back and listen to that, it was great stuff. And we're going to get to what I thought was one of the funniest parts of that here in just a bit. But when we talk about Alabama and Texas A&M, because those are the two teams I think people are going back and forth on, wondering, you know, are those two legitimate teams that could challenge, win the SEC, potentially get ahead of Kentucky and Florida? When you look at those two teams, how do you kind of survey where they're at heading into the season? Well, so I I unabashedly love Alabama. Um, (laughs) 
That will be great and, for my listeners, who are mostly from <laughs> Alabama and Auburn, I think, at this point. So, <laughs> um, I, I, I'm a huge fan of Avery Johnson and the job that he's doing. Uh, I was, when they f- came in, I think they were 8-10 eight and, eight and ten his first year, and I, I think I had projected them to be maybe, I don't know, I think five, win four or five games. I really did not like their roster at all, and he somehow got them almost to 500 than last year. Again, I was looking at the roster, I'm like, they just don't have a lot there. I mean, they have a couple guys, but, and then they went 10 and eight. Um, and I really thought, you know, down the stretch were one of the more underrated teams. Um, so I really don't think that they, they lost much. Um, you know, they, they lost, you know, like a guy like Corbin Collins, who was playing some good spot minutes, a couple guys who I thought sort of underachieved their whole career and Jimmy Taylor and Shannon Hale. Um, but they didn't really lose like a guy that they were counting on. They're, they're bringing back days and Ingram. They're bringing back Braxton key, uh, Riley Norris, who I think is is a really underrated player, uh, and Dante Hall, who I've just been impressed with his play last year and the way he defends and rebounds. He's not a guy you're going to ask to go out and give you 15 to 18 points a night, but uh, if he continues to defend and rebound the way he has, uh, and you put Daniel Giddens next to him, <laughs> and then you're going to add a, a top five recruiting class, and and I'm in love with Colin Sexton. And I think that like the number one guy that I think everybody's probably sleeping on is John Petty in that class. No doubt. Well, I think 100% I think he is. Agree. Just, yeah, he is a dynamic wing. He can shoot the rock. Uh, and, and I, you know, early on, I think a lot of people were just kind of saying, "Oh, it's probably going to be uh, Sexton Ingram, you know, and and Norris kind of playing the backcourt." I don't know how you keep Petty off the floor. I just uh, I think you you go with Sexton Ingram and Petty. Uh, and let the rest sort of work itself out. I mean, you just talk about a roster that can legitimately play eight or nine guys and match up with anybody in the country. Um, I think that's clearly uh, a top three team, and and I, I don't understand anyone who would put uh, Texas A&M ahead of them, um, mainly because of guard play. And and I'm very very lukewarm on Texas A&M. I was I was down on them last year because they didn't have any guards, and everybody still had them in the top five. Um, I'm not right a lot, but I will crow when I am. <laughs> and I was right on Texas A&M. Um, because you just, you have to have guards and they're like, oh, well, you know, they've got guards this year. Well, they're, they're still really, really shallow at the guard position and they're going to run out, uh, JJ Caldwell, who is a freshman, um, you know, and they've got another graduate transfer. His name is escaping me at the moment. Uh, um, Dwayne Wilson, yeah, Dwayne Wilson. So I, I certainly think they're going to be better, but are they going to be like top five in the league better? I, you know, I'm skeptical. I don't want to say that, that absolutely not. I think they're going to be 500 or better in the SEC. Um, but I, I don't really see them as being like a 13 and five or 12 and six kind of team. If they can get to 11 wins, I think they're, I think they're, they're going to be good. Well, it's interesting because last year I was one of the people I picked Texas A&M. I think I picked them third. But when I put out, when I picked them, I said, look, if there's one team I think that could completely underachieve, it would be them. And like you said, that's what they did. And really, you know, I talked to Billy Kennedy on the podcast we did. It's been a couple weeks ago now talking about J.J. Caldwell. And I kind of said, you know, I think we're just going to have to be patient with him. He can certainly be a playmaker for us. But, you know, we're going to have to be patient because he's going to be thrown into the fire. He's someone who did benefit from practicing with him, obviously, all last year. But I think it's still different once he gets on the court. He'll benefit from just having those other guys around him. Uh, But I think Texas A&M is an intriguing team to talk about kind of where do you pick them. 
Uh, are they one that, you know, I think I've seen stuff from like John Rothstein and stuff talking about how some people seem to think that they could win the league outright. I don't know if that's completely realistic when you talk about do they have enough depth to do that. Uh, but they are certainly one of those teams when we talk about just an intriguing team uh, that could do that. And so here's another team that I think <laughs> is as tre- intriguing as possibly any in the SEC, and, and that's Arkansas. Um, I think Arkansas is intriguing because they do have Daryl Macon back. They do have Jalen Barford back. They're going to add Dan Gafford, a really talented freshman. My question is, is that enough? Is the experience of having all those seniors enough? Uh, so I want to get your perspective just on Arkansas because they're the team I think when I've asked around a lot, they're one that people aren't exactly sure how to get a feel on just yet. Well, I think you have to certainly expect a drop-off, don't you? I mean, yeah, that's you're, you're what talking about losing yeah. Dusty Hannas. You're talking about losing Moses Kingsley. Uh, and I really think, you know, like I think Corey and I actually talked about this in the podcast, uh, you know, Manuel Watkins, um, who I thought did so many things for that team, uh, like under the radar. He was always in position. He was always making little plays here and there. And he was the guy that was I really kind of feel was starting a lot of runs. And I don't I don't know, like casual basketball observers will sort of watch that, but you know, he's the guy that that answers one team's run uh, and and then maybe gets a steal that that sends uh, Arkansas to another six or eight zero run to kind of you know get the momentum back on their side. And so I, I think that those three guys are really going to be a big loss. Um, on the flip side of that, I do think Daryl Macon might be the best returning player in the SEC. Um, I I really like. Uh, you know, Barford and Beard. I, I think Beard's really underrated. But I just think there's so many question marks in their front court. Uh, you know, like how many how like how many minutes are you gonna be able to count on on you know Gafford for? I mean he's he's clearly a talented guy. I, I think they're gonna be in a good place scoring wise, they're not necessarily gonna be required to have him go out and give them a lot of points. Um, you know, he just needs to defend, rebound and then, you know, catch some alley-oops every once in a while or something, some putbacks, um, and that'll be enough. Uh, but I, I certainly think that they're, you know, a potential tournament team. I, you know, I think they're probably more like, you know, the first uh, first four game, uh, you know, last four in kind of thing, rather than, you know, be like a solid 8-9 or, or, you know, 7-10 seed. Um, you know, but I think that they've got the talent to play. It's just, just a matter of, of if Mike Anderson can kind of find a little bit more consistency, which, which I, I don't think that they played with enough last year um, for as talented of the roster that they had. I thought that, that they probably should have been like a four or five seed, um, just in my opinion, and they ended up you know far lower than that. But I mean, I think they're an NCAA tournament team, um, but I you know I really think that the SEC could get seven eight teams in this year. Uh, so it wouldn't surprise me to see them kind of at the back of the pack of the leaders of the SEC, kind of in the middle there, and, and still still get in. That's kind of my thinking, and you brought it up and talking about losing Kingsley and Hannah's. It's almost like I think some people forget about just kind of how valuable they were. I mean, you have a guy in Hannah's who can knock down a shot pretty much any time you need him to. He's so you know he can get on a roll and just knock down three after three. And then Kingsley, what he brought inside, everybody in the SEC seemingly has a lot of depth at guard. And, you know, there are some teams that, that have the presence up front, you know, teams like Missouri. We know what Kentucky's going to have, Florida. Uh, if you can have that that combination, that's certainly going to put you near the top. And that's where my question mark is with Arkansas. 
like you said, is Gafford going to be able to start immediately, give them all those minutes, guys like Dustin Thomas uh, in there as well? You know, How are those guys going to kind of evolve? And that's where I'm at with them in that I don't know that I'm comfortable saying they're a definite top five SEC team at this point just because there are question marks in those areas. And, you know, adding a guy like Khalil Garland, who's a good guard that's going to come in, how are these freshman guys going to add to the mix? We know what the style of play is going to be. Uh, so to me, that's kind of a wait and see on Arkansas. Uh, but if we move forward, and just to continue our role here through <laughs> trying to pretty much talk about every SEC team, it seems like at this point, we're going to find a way to do it. Um, here's an interesting group of teams I've all I put together just because I think I could see them playing above expectations. I could see them playing way below expectations. And these four teams are Tennessee, Mississippi State, Georgia, South Carolina. Uh, among that group, what do you feel maybe the team that stands out the most to you? Because I think those are you're going to see those four teams, in my opinion, are going to be picked in that bottom tier of the SEC. I don't really think you're going to see any of those four picked in the top seven, eight, nine, maybe. Uh, so how are you kind of seeing those four teams right now, I guess? Well, I'm last year I had Yante Baton as my SEC player of the year. So I think if Georgia can find a way to get some of their young guards to play well, you know, they're going to have Juwan Parker. But, I mean, Juwan Parker coming back is just not somebody you're, you're going to ask to score. Um, you know, but I really, really like Maton. I just don't know if Georgia's going to have enough guys like, t- you know, like Turtle Jackson or Tyree Crump, uh, Jordan Harris, who I like all three of those guys, but are they going to be able to do enough to step up to finally kind of get Georgia uh, to where I, I sort of feel that they should have been the last couple of years, which is kind of in that solid top five. Um, so, you know, that that's a team that I think I like enough that I would probably have them uh, in top eight. Uh, but to me, the, the the big mystery with with all that is probably Mississippi State. Yeah. Um, with Tennessee, I just think they're going to miss Robert Hub so bad. They've got a lot of young guys, uh, you know. But I think there's going to be a, a big learning curve for them to not sort of have that that guy. With South Carolina, they're just losing so much. Uh, I think that they're going to be a competitive team. I think they're going to be a dog to to beat. Um, you know, that's just how Frank Martin's teams are. But if they're better than six and twelve in the SEC, I'll be. I'll, I would consider that a, a successful season for them. I just don't think that they have enough enough dogs. Um, but then Mississippi State is a team who, for me, it's year three with Ben Helen. Uh, you've got a really really talented crop of freshmen who are all going to be sophomores, and on top of that, you're adding one of the one of the best players in the SEC, Quindary Weatherspoon, and his younger brother. Uh, who is a five-star combo guard. Um, I mean, the talent on that roster is is just, it's ripe for an outburst. It, it's just a matter of of whether they can kind of get over that that hump of, of, you know, they don't really have that guy that's been a part of the program that, that knows what he's been, knows what he needs to do and, 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 and do it in order to get those wins. Um, but they're a team that I could easily see kind of surprising people and maybe getting into that, uh, that you know, that top six or seven. Um, I just really like Quindary Weatherspoon. I think his brother is, is going to be a really great compliment. And then you talk about Lamar Peters. If they can get anything on the interior, um, I'm trying to think of the, 
the the big guy that they have down there. Um, yeah, so they've got Abdul Adu is the kid that they're really excited about. I think he's the guy that that sat out last year was an eligible. Oh yeah, academics. Yeah. Yeah, and then you've got you know the guys who seemingly you're kind of just waiting to see if they're going to break through and Schneider, Harrard, and Eric Coleman. I think those two are going to be important too. Yeah, I think Harrard's the guy I was thinking of who's who's just like a a mountain of a man. He's, he's a just, beast. Yeah, he's huge. He's just if he can learn how to how to play within himself and and if he can develop any kind of offensive game other than you know catch the ball dunk the ball um you know i absolutely think that that mississippi state you know is is one of those under the radar teams that that will probably surprise a lot of people in the sec yeah and you talk about just those three guys i mean all these all three of those guys are six ten or taller and then you look back at last year and i've talked about this particular stat i guess several times now uh, and some of their their late season losses, they went on that I think it was six or seven game losing streak late last season, and I think they lost five or six of those games by seven points or less. And you know it was against good competition. It was against teams like South Carolina, Florida, Vanderbilt, um, and they were losing close games. So I think for them, it's just maybe that extra year of experience now helps them get over the hump, win those close games. Uh, if they can do that, I mean, surely the talent they have there is just outstanding. And like you said, the Weatherspoons, uh, all the guys they got coming back, Lamar Peters, uh, there are a lot of potential kind of players on there that could break out, have all SEC type of seasons, uh, and it's just a matter of seeing how that unfolds. But when you look around at that other group, you know, to me, Yante Mayton, like you said, he was player of the year to you last year. He's the preseason player of the year to me. And while I've seen people possibly pick Georgia at 13 or 14, <laughs> I don't think that Yante Mayton is going to allow that to happen. I mean, I just don't think that's possible. Well, I also think like Mark Fox is really underrated as a coach. And I think a lot of people look past that. Uh, and I, so I think that's kind of unfair. To, I would ever put them that low. Um, it wouldn't surprise me to see them maybe like ninth or 10th. Um, but I think his coaching alone is, is worth three or four spots. Yeah, it's just interesting to me because, like I said, I think when you have a preseason player of the year candidate, I don't think he's going to be at 13 or 14. I just don't think that's going to happen. I mean, Rayshon Hammonds, the kid that's coming in, really good freshman there. Uh, he's someone that I think Mark Fox likes. We talked to him on the podcast. He was talking about how much he liked his versatility, could possibly play him at point guard. I mean, he's pretty much a small power forward. Um, so th- there's a lot of guys there that could play. It's just a matter of replacing Frazier, like you said. So, uh, all right, moving on to another team that I think is very, at this point, I don't know, you, you know, because it seems like it was a given that LSU would be the worst team in the SEC. But, you know, they bring back who they bring back. They have a new coach in Will Wade. Uh, they add the Southern Utah guy, Randy Onwasor, who averaged 24 points a game last year. Yes, he did it at Southern Utah. Uh, still impressive to me, no matter what. Uh, but... I just, you know, it's a completely different mentality this year, and you wonder, you know, I don't know. But, like, they're they're interesting to me. I don't know. I could see them potentially sneaking up. Uh, I know they lost Antonio Blakeney, but, boy, just a complete culture overhaul there at LSU. Well, I, st- I still think they're probably the worst team in the SEC. But I really, I feel like that, sh- that deserves a lot of clarification, um, mainly because I don't think we're going to see anybody who's anywhere near as bad as Missouri and LSU were last year. Um, or in previous years, like Missouri and Mississippi State and all these teams that were, you know, down in the low, like 100s of, you know, Ken Pomeroy's rankings. I think you're going to see a lot of even the worst teams in the SEC kind of in the higher 100s. 
Um, and I think that's probably where we'll see LSU. So what I, to me, what that means is, uh, p- picking them last. Sure. Um, but they're not going to be two and 16 in the league. Um, you know, they're probably going to be five and 13 or six and 12. Um, and I think that's what you're going to see this year in the SEC is a lot more balance, uh, with fewer teams winning 16, 17 games and, uh, you know, and, and more te- teams kind of in that, that eight, nine, 10 win range. And I think LSU is just going to be the victim of just not quite enough. Um, I like where they're going, you know, but I just, I think that there are enough weaknesses and, and to me, it's just like, okay, I see all the pieces that they're putting in here. Right. And it's nice to be like, Oh, true, true. You know, Tremont waters. That's great. You know, Brandon Rochelle, Galen Alexander, nice recruiting class. They've got some decent kids you know, you know, Dwap Reith is a nice player. Brandon Sampson's going to be good. Uh, I was really high on Skylar Mays last year. Um, I don't know about you. Like I, I really thought he played pretty well yeah. considering he's a freshman. And um, so I, but so you take all those names and then you put them into a depth chart and then you look at that depth chart and you look at potentially who's probably going to be in their starting five. And it's pretty underwhelming in, in comparison to the rest of the league. Uh, but I just think that there's too many other teams in the league that really, really have a lot of talent on their roster uh, and, and are a little bit, more experienced and, and set in what they're doing. You, know, you talk about Georgia. I mean, Mark Fox has been there forever. Uh, you know, so their system is in place. They're going to be a tough out no matter what. Uh, you know, South Carolina has probably the least talented roster in the SEC. But, I, I mean, how are you going to count out Frank Martin? Um, yeah. You know, so that's, that's just kind of how I feel at LSU. I, you know, I think it's it's reasonable to, to sort of place them last. But I, I certainly don't think it's going to take long for Will Wade to kind of get them out of that hole. Well, and to me, you know, you said it way more eloquently than I could, and that's why I have you on the podcast, because (laughs) I was trying to think of a way to say it, and you said it exactly how I wanted to say it. Uh, But also, I think when you think about the change of style and the style of play, I mean, they're going to be a team that focuses a whole lot on defense, and this is a team last year that, quite frankly, did not play defense for the majority of his SEC games, so how is the adjustment going to be there Uh, And kind of, you know, and it could be one of those things where it's a first year, you know, where Will Wade's going to have to kind of, you know, make an example of some guys that are maybe very talented offensively. But if they don't play that defensive style he wants them to play, they may be on the bench a lot. And he may take losses with that and be fine with it because that's kind of the culture that he's trying to build there, bring over that same type of Havoc style they've had at VCU. Uh, so, so that's another intriguing element I think you could watch um, as well. So, all right, another team, and this is where we get back to your podcast interview with Corey Keys, and that is <laughs> Ole Miss. And I, the first thing before we even start talking about Ole Miss, I want to see if, you know, maybe three or four times in a row, I'd like to get you to pronounce uh, <laughs> Fermanovichus, Olenichak, <laughs> Tertichnik, and a couple other guys, because... I mean, they have got quite the group there now. When you talk about pronouncing names, uh, that's quite the trio, I think. So I admitted on the podcast that I'm, I'm, you know, terrible at that. Uh, <laughs> I, I think once I hear it, then I'm okay. It's like okay, okay, uh, Ola Nichik, right? And and, but you know, Fermanovich, I God, still like, I mean, that name is just a tongue twister to me. And and when you hear when you hear Corey say it, and obviously Corey. Uh, you know, for those who don't know Corey Keyes, you should go follow him on Twitter. But he's a former graduate assistant uh, for Ole Miss, so he he was around these guys last year, um, and so it just rolls off his tongue. And I'm just I'm jealous of uh, 
of him, his ability to pronounce these names, and I just I just get get tongue tied. Um, I think I can handle Carlos Sillins, though. I, I'm 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 okay with that one. Um, but uh, the 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 new uh, uh, freshman guard from Ukraine, um, Ilya Tertishnik. Um <laughs> He has like one vowel in the entire name, and that's just well. It's funny. So we, we we talked to Andy Kennedy on the podcast, and obviously anyone listening to this has probably listened to that podcast. Before we we started the interview, I said, "Look, Andy, I said, here's the deal, man. I have got your other guys down pat. Like I can pronounce Fermanovich's Olenichak. I said, but I have no idea how to pronounce the European kid's name. And he's like, man, he's like, you're not going to be the first one. And so he said it like four times, and I finally got it. He's like, yep, that's it. I was like, oh, thank goodness. So it is. But uh, talking so I about- would have started that podcast <laughs> and been like, okay, Andy, I've got these other guys' names names down. I can I can say Brian Tyree. I can say yeah. <laughs> Markel Crawford. Uh, Mark Canvas Hyman I'm good with. DeAndre Burnett. Uh, but you got to help me out with the rest. <laughs> yeah, like it is. It's funny. But, no, I mean, they're, they're all intriguing players, though, and that's why we're going to talk about Ole Miss because – you know, I've seen other people out there, and you know, Ole Miss is one of those teams. We talked about Mississippi State. I've said this before. I think the two old, the Mississippi squads uh, could be the sleeper teams, just because I think there's enough talent there. And with Ole Miss, could have one of the deepest backcourts in the entire conference. Uh, when you talk about all those names we just mentioned, I mean, Brian Tyree, DeAndre Burnett was their leading scorer, Terrence Davis, who was one of the most improved players in the country last year, uh, and then you add in Markel Crawford. There's so many different elements in that backcourt that I absolutely love, but you go to the front court, you lose Sebastian Saiz, and that's where my questions start to come in with Ole Miss. Well, yeah, and you know, I think you're really, really going to be counting on uh, Olenichik to play a really big role, and he obviously he played well as a freshman at Drake, but there's a big, big difference in the level of basketball that you're going to be playing at Drake, and you're going to be playing at the SEC, particularly with the athleticism. Um, so I, I have to apologize, uh, beforehand because I am an unabashed Andy Kennedy fan. Um, not only, you know, for a guy that takes over a program that has never really won anything, um, and, and for them to be consistently winning 20 games and, and beating people's expectations. And I said this, I think in a preview a couple years ago of Ole Miss, I said, I'm done you know, counting Ole Miss's history against Andy Kennedy. And I think that's what a lot of people do is, is they take um, the history of the school and say, okay, well, there's no way they're going to achieve that because this is what they've always done um, when you don't look at the history of what Andy Kennedy has done. Um, and that's put out teams that are constantly competitive. He's not going to win the league, um, you know, unless the league was really, really down, I think, in what, 2013 or 14? Yeah. Um, you know, when they when they won the tournament. Um, but man, I love Brian Tyree so much. I mean, and that kid's only going to be a sophomore. Terrence Davis, uh, really gives them a lot of different things. DeAndre Burnett can just flat shoot the ball. Uh, I mean, this is a team that if they can get anything from those front court guys, if they can get just, you know, 20 fouls, uh, and some rebounds, you know, it's just like, just give us something. Uh, and, and if you catch the ball by the basket, maybe score it 60% of the time. Yeah. Um, you, you, so it's just like, you're not asking them to do a whole lot. You're just asking them to be serviceable. And I think that this is a, at least a 500 SEC team. Um, I just, I really, I think 
get tired of people uh, discounting the job that he's done at that program. Um, and, and you just look at how good their guard play is right now and how good it's been since he's really been there. Uh, and, and they always score the ball well. Uh, they always have enough sort of defensive uh, adjustments with d- different like one three one zones and, and sort of soft uh, you know man and, and all the different things that they do. Uh, and I think that, that that presents enough of a challenge that, that, that they're going to be a tough out for anybody. And, and I certainly, uh, I really like watching Ole Miss play, uh, despite the fact that it kind of drives you crazy as, as you know, a fan of another team. Um, you know, when they're, when they're beating you with all these like weird plays, they're just so efficient offensively. And, and I just love the job that he's done there. Well, I think another thing they're going to do is they're going to play fast again this year because you think about the roster they have and they're going to be able to put all these guards out there. And and I think that's honestly what we're moving towards. I mean, you you know, you watch the game of basketball as much as I do and talking about we're moving more towards teams that are are playing the Golden State Warriors type of basketball where you're putting all these guards out on the perimeter. You're playing a lot of guys, putting them in different situations. Uh, I think that's a, a sort of an asset that Ole Miss is going to have in talking about these guys. And Brian Tyree, you mentioned him. Andy Kennedy has just loved the way that he's progressed this offseason. And he's to look at Burnett, Davis, uh, Markel Crawford coming in from Memphis and say, boy, there's your big three in terms of guard play. But Brian Tyree, I think, is going to make a big jump this year. And, you know, Andy Kennedy, I think I'm with you and just talking about, I mean, he's averaged 21 wins a season since he's been there since 2006. And at Ole Miss, that's not easy to do. And I think that's one of the things, too, it seems like, is people compare all these jobs the same. The Florida basketball job is not the same as the Ole Miss basketball job. The Kentucky basketball job is not the same as the Auburn basketball job. <laughs> you know, and, and so I think a lot of people kind of get into that and just compare all these SEC schools the same in basketball. To me, that's not a fair comparison because I think you just kind of have to look around sometimes and realize that I don't think all these jobs are, are that close when you talk about you know maybe the opposite ends of the spectrum in terms of basketball jobs in the SEC. Well, yeah, I think the important thing, and even Corey and I brought it up, is, is the difference in money. Uh, and this happens in football, too. Um, like Alabama spends like hundred million dollars in football. Uh, that's more than Missouri's entire athletic budget. Yeah. Um, you know, Missouri spends a pretty good amount of money on basketball. I, I want to say, uh, last year under Kim Anderson, uh, there, I think they were in the eight to $9 million range, which is at the low end of the sec, but they're paying, uh, inexperienced coaching staffs so that, you know, coaching staff wasn't costing them a lot. Um, the average, I think, for sort of the, the power of six conferences in basketball is to kind of be in that that 10 to 12 range, um, you know, maybe eight, nine, the low end. Um, and for so many years, I mean, Ole Miss's operating budget was below $5 million. Um, Ole Miss and Mississippi State both historically have just not spent on basketball. And and when you when you add that to the fact that, they're not spending on facilities. Uh, now Ole Miss has one of the best facilities in the SEC right now. They just built that, uh, the beautiful uh, yeah. Ole Miss Pavilion, whatever they're calling it. Um, you know, so finally they're getting the investment. Uh, and I think that you're actually kind of seeing that in the recruiting classes, like they're getting better because now they have a facility. So, I mean, who wants to play basketball and, you know, in the hump, um, right. you know, who wants to, you know, who wants to, play basketball or, or uh, the tad pad sorry the, the hump is mississippi state <laughs> yeah. and honestly like that's not that great of a facility either um so i think the the point kind of stands is 
is, you know, when you're being, when you're talking about Kentucky who spends in the $20 million range for, for their basketball on average, and then you're talking about competing at Ole Miss, um, you know, when they're spending five or $6 million, uh, like that makes a difference because that that's who you can recruit. Um, that's the kind of players that you're going to get. And, and you can see Andy Kennedy every year, he gets, he gets it done with, with transfers. He gets it done with, uh, Juco guys. He gets it done with, uh, you know, under the radar, um, you know, kids. And then occasionally he'll throw in like a low ranked four star. And I mean, that's been his recipe and it's, it's, it's working. So I just think when you talk about expectations for me, like the fact that Ole Miss is the, like the kind of reliable team that they are is, is a minor miracle considering the amount of investment that they've had. Now, I think with the, the new fa- uh, facility that that investment will get better. And I do think that you'll actually see the product, uh, the expectations go up and I think that they've got the guy in place that can handle those expectations. Like I said, I mean, we obviously, you go back to when they were still at the divisions. I mean, there were years, you know, we had the one sixteen and 15 year, uh, that was 08, 09. And, and you kind of just throw out when they were doing the divisions, but since the split, you know, haven't finished lower than sixth. And like you said, with what they work with, I think he does a really, really good job. And I, you know, I don't know that they did him any favors this off season, uh, and talking about the the contract deal and all that, uh, but you know he's lost players in this recruiting class and that kind of stuff, and uh, so we'll see we'll see how it goes. But I I, I just love this team. I think they're going to be a lot of fun to watch. One of the most exciting teams probably in the SEC, and I think like with a team like Auburn, I think if you look defensively, how they play defensively is probably going to determine what their ceiling is. Um, and so I don't know. I mean, I think you could compare those kind of two teams together with Ole Miss and Auburn. They were the two last year that kind of struggled defensively at times. Uh, obviously Auburn more so than Ole Miss. Uh, but I do think it's, <laughs> right, yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, it, it's going to be one of those deals where I think if you just look at, see how that front court develops and then with the defense as well. So, all right, we've made it through this entire thing here. We've gone 45 minutes and shockingly, <laughs> I live in Nashville, and we have not mentioned Vanderbilt one time. Um, and I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, because <laughs> I think with Bryce Drew, uh, he gets into the tournament last year. Nobody ever thought that could happen, I think, when they started the year. They were just terrible at times through the middle of the season. But then he did something that kind of made me a complete Bryce Drew believer. And what he did was, when they were not playing well, they were kind of trying to do that thing where you're the first-year head coach, you're trying to put in your system as quickly as you can, and even if it's not working, you keep trying to do it. He didn't do that. He changed. He made some adjustments to where they started playing the style that that seemingly when Kevin Stallings was there, they played a bit more offensively, and it worked. And it got them kind of where they needed to be. They turned things around, one of the hottest teams in the country at the end of the year. Uh, We all know they get to the NCAA tournament. Uh, coming back now, I, they're another team that I, I don't know that I have a complete feel on yet because Luke Cornett is the type of player that doesn't come around very often. A seven-foot guy that can shoot threes, expand the, you know, extend the floor, play out on the perimeter. Uh, so that kind of worries me with them. But when you talk about what they got coming back w- w- in terms of guards, uh, if Matthew Fisher-Davis is the Matthew Fisher-Davis that he can be, then he's a really good player. He's an all-SEC player. Uh, but I do kind of wonder with them the same thing when we talk about that front court, how they're going to replace Luke Cornett. 
Yeah, and you're really relying on guys that just haven't really proven a whole lot. I mean, I, I think that the overall makeup of their roster kind of works. Um, you know, but another thing I think kind of went a little under the radar is the fact that Bryce Dew is not afraid to sit Matthew Fisher Davis uh, through a lot of stretches last year in order to get some other guys going. And I think that that really, uh, that really helped them. Now, as far as expectations, I mean, is a team that maybe got hot at the right point. They were certainly, uh, they were certainly Florida's <laughs> kryptonite. Yeah. I think they beat Florida three times, right? Yeah. Um, three. So I, I really don't know what to make of this team. And, and I, I'll be honest, like I'm going through all my previews right now and Vanderbilt's like the last team that I get to, cause I always <laughs> go alphabetical order. <laughs> so I haven't quite dealt uh, like dove into really like what kind of production they're getting back. Um, you know, but I do have some very sort of basic, uh, outlines. And so I, I threw together this sort of wonky stat. It's a little weird and it doesn't really work for everybody. Um, but I had, I, I call it sort of like offensive value and it's, it's sort of a very simple, um, it's basically just like the amount of points, rebounds, uh, assists, and then you subtract uh, from that the turnovers, and you just sort of get uh, a you know a value, and then you add up the entire value, and then you uh, you you get a number, and then you basically multiply it by a hundred to get you know a, an even even one hundred number. And they're bringing back a lot of their offense. so you know a guy that I think. Really, really unheralded was Jeff Roberson. Oh, I'm so glad you said that. He is, and everybody knows this. He is legitimately probably one of my favorite players in college basketball, and the reason why is that he is just the complete opposite of Flash. He is just the guy that goes out there and just does the work. Yeah, and so you're bringing back him. You're bringing back uh, Lachance Fisher Davis. You got some some young guys that are playing well. Um, I just. Like Luke Cornett did so many little things for them, including uh, like really defend well, rebound well, and, and stretch the floor and really create openings because he's a he's a guy that was drawing the drawing the other team's uh, you know best post player away from the basket. Uh, well, they don't have that this year. They don't have. I mean, you know, unless I'm mistaken, I really don't think you know Jerry Baptiste is a guy who's going to step out and drain a bunch no. of threes. Um, so what you know? How are they going to sort of compensate for that? Uh, and I certainly think that they'll be a team that that probably challenges for the NCAA tournament. But I don't think there are anybody that's going to be like solidly uh, on the good side of the tournament bubble for much of the year. I think it, it's going to be a struggle for them uh, to really kind of get right. Um, now I, I am like you. I'm a big believer in Bryce Drew, and I think that he's eventually just going to have you know a consistently probably top five team there. Um, you know, but it's 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 going to be a dogfight in the SEC this year, and it wouldn't surprise me one bit to see uh, a Vanderbilt maybe kind of drop back to that nine, ten, or eleven spot. Yeah, and that's kind of where I'm just looking at it too, and, and I don't really know where to kind of expect them to be because it's just one of those things, like you said with Cornette, it's not just the stuff he did on the floor. I mean, this is you know one one of the better players in Vanderbilt's history. Just in talking about the entire package, I mean, this is a stellar kid. Uh, a leader, just so many different things he did well, and he was exactly what they needed to kind of make that run they made late in the season. And without him, you know, Jerry Baptiste is still a work in progress. Uh, you know, Educate Obena, the freshman, is a work in progress. 
Cleavon Brown's a kid I think they kind of expect to have a big year this year. Uh, he's one of those guys like Gabriel at Kentucky that's put on a lot of strength in the weight room like Austin Wiley at Auburn. And so I think they like that about him and think he could break out. But they may be one of those teams where you see, you know, everybody on the floor at six, seven or under uh, just because they're going to try to put as many guys on the perimeter as they can and maybe try to extend the floor. I don't know. But they're, they're one, again, there's another one that's kind of get hard to get a handle on at this point. So uh, it'd be another intriguing year for Bryce Drew. And I think if he gets a kid like Darius Garland in there, uh, talking about his recruiting ability to do something like that, that could be a program changer as well uh, going into the 2018 season. So, all right. So now we've officially run through every single team in the SEC. We did it in 50 <laughs> minutes. Um, and so I think that's impressive in and of itself. Uh, but now that we've done it, I'm going to ask you this, and I'm going to put you on the spot in doing this. So if you had to say, just pick as of today, and it is August the 9th as we're recording this, um, if you had to pick, who is your top five teams in the SEC as of today? Um, well, certainly uh, Kentucky, uh, Florida. Um, I think those are probably one, two. Um uh, I'll, I'll, I'm going to be a homer and say Missouri, uh, but they're going to be five. Uh, Alabama. So that's that's four. And then this is where it kind of gets tough. I know a lot of people are believing in Texas A&M, but I'm, I'm not uh, a big Texas A&M fan. I think they actually kind of fall back. Uh, I think it's probably either going to be Arkansas or Auburn. Um, if Auburn can figure out how to defend, I think that they're easily – in the top five. Um, so I guess that's cheating and saying top six <laughs> <laughs> with fine. a little bit of a hedge. But, uh, but you know, I just think Arkansas has got so, so much depth at guard that, you know, I think that they've got enough bodies they can throw to kind of play the Mike Anderson system. They're always kind of hard to count out. And and now I think they're going to have a big chip on their shoulder because I think the off season there's been a lot of people that have sort of doubted them. And I and being around uh, Mike Anderson and the way he runs a program, I know that they're going to play that up a bit. Um, but yeah, I, I, if I had to, if I had to go out on a limb and, and I'd say Kentucky one, Florida two, uh, Alabama three, uh, but it wouldn't surprise me to see Alabama move up, and then uh, we'll say Auburn, Missouri, Arkansas as my as my six. That's good. That, that's kind of about where I'm at. I think on some of those, I have Texas A&M higher than you, obviously, as we discussed earlier, but. Um, it is, it's, it's very, you know, who knows? And I've said that so many times at this point, that phrase, who knows at this point, because we don't really know. Um, there's so many different ways this league can go this year, but the one thing we do agree on, obviously, is that it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. And we are definitely going to have you back on again, sir, because, uh, this was a very fun episode of the podcast. Uh, and so before we finish this thing up, let everyone know where they can find all your stuff, your podcasts, all the great work you do out there. Uh, well, all my writing is is typically at rockmnation.com. Uh, that's the SB Nation Missouri blog. Um, so definitely go there. Uh, we do, I do podcasts both, you know, for myself, uh, which is Sam Snelling podcast. You can actually just search uh, iTunes and Google Play for Sam Snelling, and it'll it'll come up. Uh, but I also do podcasts for Rockham Radio, uh, where you know me and a couple of the other guys that are writers for the site will kind of jump in and, and do some basketball content there. So if you're a Missouri fan, it's definitely a, a great stop. If you're an SEC fan, uh, I would highly encourage you to to kind of jump on uh, my podcast because I'm I've got 
a lot of different guests uh, that we do um, sort of all around the league and, and try to focus on, you know, more general SEC basketball. And then certainly give me a follow on Twitter at Sam T. Snelling. So for all the people out there who have been telling me that I do way too many podcasts, uh, <laughs> here is someone else that does multiple podcasts as well. Uh, so be sure to, to follow Sam, like you said, all the great work he does there, and we'll definitely be catching up again here as we get closer to the start of the season. Sam, enjoy it as always, my man, and I will definitely talk to you again here soon. All right, sounds good, Blake. Anytime. And there you have it. There was our discussion on the world of SEC hoops as it stands here in August, and hopefully you enjoyed that long discussion, and it was a lot of fun to have Sam on. Always enjoy talking to him. Again, a guy with so much knowledge around the world of SEC hoops. Obviously, he covers Missouri, uh, but definitely knows his stuff and has followed the league for a long, long time. So we will definitely have Sam on the podcast here as we go throughout the offseason and into the season as well. Uh, so be sure you are subscribed to the Southeast Hoops podcast. You can do that by going over to iTunes, search for Southeast Hoops. You can subscribe for free. Every episode delivered as soon as they go up. Uh, also, be sure to head over to southeasthoops.com. Check out all the written work that's gone up over there. If you're someone who hasn't read uh, my most recent kind of jam-packed 3,000-word SEC notebook that came out a couple of weeks ago, be sure to check that out. A lot of observations in there as well for the upcoming season that were not discussed uh, within this interview here. Uh, but you can check that out. A lot more written stuff coming as we get closer and closer to the start of the season. And also be sure to follow me on Twitter at Level. So thanks as always for listening. We will talk to you guys next time.